1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back in the Racing President's Podcast, rolling along. One week's in the books, and we're back at it again. We've had an eventful first week of our podcast. The second podcast had some great sit-downs. Todd Dibus sitting down with Patrick Corbin after his press conference, also sitting down with Mike Rizzo. And here we are. The winter meetings are right here. And there's a feeling of, well... Are they going to do much? Well, we will see, because there still is that massive carrot dangling out there that would be Bryce Harper. We're just a two-man game today. Myself, Tim Murray, Todd Dibas, live from Las Vegas, and he is going to be the man on the ground floor all week and uh, he will be getting some great insight doing some uh, interviews all throughout the week he's going to be running point on most of our racing president's podcasts throughout the week here but today we wanted to get the scene set it is late sunday evening in dc actually early monday morning late sunday evening out in vegas todd sir how is sin city
0: it's good they've booked me here for a 2 year run of shows. Um, I'll be replacing Britney Spears and uh taking it from there. So it was nice knowing you guys. Best of luck with the podcast. I will be here for the foreseeable future.
1: You know, one week's time is uh you know, some longer than some people can say that they've done in podcasts So you know, we bi- we bid you farewell and uh you know, you and Cher and Britney and uh, uh the Blue Man Group are going to be doing a uh, just having a grand old time out in in Las Vegas.
0: Yeah, you know, we're just all average people. We'll, we'll be hanging out. The blue man guys after the shows remain blue, but what are you going to do?
1: Carrot Top is also out in Las Vegas, apparently, too. And he is, uh, you might run into him in the gym. Apparently, Carrot Top uh, loves pumping some iron. He is a big, big dude. So, so yeah, don't, he,
0: don't. I think he's kind of, he's, he's going to out. I don't think, like, I'm in his fame tier, right, in his Vegas fame tier. I think he's in a different tier, so I don't anticipate crossing
1: paths with him. Well, speaking of celebrities, I I mean, when you're in Vegas, you you always run into someone. And, you know, it's the who's who of baseball out uh, in Las Vegas this week. And you ran into the whoest of the who, Marlins man.
0: I did. Well, I was, there was an extraordinarily long wait for my lunch. Um, Marlon's man flew by in his orange jersey. Uh, with, I wondered if it was a credential hanging around his neck, but it was another kind of different access path. Mm. So, you know, what a, what a life. What a world. I think he's good for, you know, Las Vegas, it feels like a place that he should be. You know, it's I was kinda, g- made out of what why is he famous nobody really knows why is he still doing this nobody really knows so here we are in las vegas with marlins man orange jersey mandalay bay december
1: i was going to tweet you at todd divas or at todd underscore divas excuse me make sure to follow todd uh for great insight like pictures of marlins man sitting (laughs) at uh some some sort of uh deli counter it looked like but um I was going to tweet you, do you think Marlins man has multiple orange number one Marlins man jerseys? Because if not, that jersey might be quite foul smelling. Yeah, I,
0: I would hope Cause that's all that he wears, because otherwise that jersey is just putting on itself. Yeah. You know, like in the morning he stands up, it goes on. He doesn't have to do anything and then they're ready to go. <laughs> well we spike the hair and grab the visor and out the door
1: well we do want to get into actual baseball news here but i am curious uh it is uh as we mentioned you guys most folks listening in likely monday morning hopefully uh listening to this uh to take their thoughts away from what unfolded at fedex field good Mm, gracious that was brutal um but what's the feel right now in Vegas? Is there any feel? I know there are some front offices already there, uh, setting up shop. Um, is there a buzz in the air, a thought that, you know, the big, the big name, Bryce Harper, could be making a signing? I know that's such a cliche question to ask, but I, I'm, I'm generally curious if there's already kind of that buzz in the air of, of the possibility of a, of a big name going while out in Las Vegas.
0: Yeah, well, today everyone kind of got here. That was kind of the mode of operation. You saw everybody setting up their television sets and their radio sets and getting organized and saying hello to people that that you haven't seen a lot and kind of doing, you know, whipping your head around when someone walked by that you recognized, whether it was like an on-air personality or someone in the media or someone, you know, Mike Rizzo was here walking around and, you know, other GMs and some players were here. So today was kind of like a build-up day. And as you mentioned, of course, Marlon's man was here. So today was kind of a build-up day to everything. And until Bryce Harper and Manny Machado sign and do something, that's just going to be the ongoing headline. It's just going to be looming over everything. Um, as I wrote on our site, NBCSportsWashington.com, the, you know, just the Nationals are kind of here on the peripheral areas of building their team, right? They need a left-handed bat off the bench that can play first base, maybe another reliever, and then what else? Not much, really, if you run through their roster right now and you have a kind of tomorrow will be interesting. I'll say that because it will be Mike Rizzo's first availability since principal owner Mark Lerner basically told 1067 the fan that the Nationals are out on Harper. They made their big offer, he declined it. Everybody's, you know, mutually moving on and they wish him luck and they have their roster situated and kind of that was that. So I'm sure Rizzo will be addressing that for the first time since it happened because it kind of different, it was different than what he was saying. Mm-hmm. He was saying the door still open. We had parallel paths signing Patrick Corbin, not directly associated to our ability to sign Bryce Harper or not. Um, you know, so those things were going on at the same time. Those comments were being made simultaneously, but they were not directly in line with each other. So that was interesting to see. And so I expect Mike Rizzo to address that tomorrow. So, that's a long way of saying of course Bryce Harper is the main issue here. It's really interesting to me also as we move forward how much less we're talking about Manny Machado. Um, you know, maybe in other circles, he's coming up more often. Obviously, we have that distinct focus on Bryce because of where we live, but you know, just in general, you see him almost like Machado just Thrown on just a piggyback whenever Bryce is brought up as opposed to this independent entity who's probably going to get three hundred plus million dollars himself,
1: yeah, that is kind of remarkable in any other year. Manny Machado would be the banner name, he would be the headliner, but because of Bryce Harper and everything attached to him and the polarizing polarizing port personality, um, you know I wanted to start. Uh, with the Patrick Corbin press conference to kind of lead into the Bryce Harper, uh, comments from Mark Lerner, the Mark Lerner comments about Bryce Harper. But let's start there since you brought it up and, and it is interesting. Our last podcast, which dropped, uh, on Thursday, came, you know, with you sitting down with Patrick Corbin and then sitting down with Mike Rizzo. And, and the answer you got from Mike Rizzo, as you alluded to, was very, uh, Typical Mike Rizzo, you know, kind of saying the door is still open. You know, we're going to talk and we're going to sit down. But when you get the owner of the team, Mark Lerner, saying this, and I'm going to read you the quote. So once again, this uh, took place on uh, late last week. It was on uh, on Grant and Danny on 106.7 The Fan. And this is the direct quote from Lerner. Uh, when asked about the ten-year, three hundred million dollar deal that was offered to Bryce Harper uh, on the final day of the two thousand eighteen regular season, quote: "Well, when we met with them and we gave them the offer, we told them this is the best we can do. If we've you know we went right to the uh, to the finish line very quickly, and we said if this, if this is of interest to you, please come back to us. And we'll see whether we can finish it up, but we just couldn't afford to put more than that in and still be able to put a team together." that had a chance to win the NL Easter, go far farther than that. So, you know, if they choose to go to some other place, I totally understand. It's an you know, opportunity of a lifetime for for uh, Bryce and Kayla and their family. And uh, But we have no hard feelings about it, I must say. There's another quote, and I want to get to it in just a moment. But in one sense, Todd, it's refreshing to hear someone just tell the truth and say, yeah, we offered them this. We said that's the best we could do. Take it or leave it. On the other hand, it is stunning because that's not really how negotiations work you don't just say this is the best we can do knowing that that wasn't going to be enough to get this deal done so it almost feels like and, and, and the reporting that was out there when this deal came out when it was trickled out, I forget when it trickled out, it was in, I think it was in November that we, we, we finally heard that, the, that there had been an offer, and then Harper and Boris said, thanks, but no thanks. But both sides were, were fine. They were happy, and it wasn't just an offer for just the sake of, of throwing an offer out there, but it almost feels like it was. If that's what the Lerner family felt, hey, this is what we can do, they knew that wouldn't be enough.
0: My instant reaction to those comments were, I don't understand. Yeah. And on on the level that you mentioned and a couple other levels. So I don't understand why you made him an offer you knew there was zero chance he was going to take and, and, and called that your final offer, right? Um, I mean, I guess you it was maybe it was just purely being courteous, and you're like, this is what we can give you. We really respect you. We thank you very much for playing here. Here's what we can give you. We wanted to know, you know, have you know that early on because I know that you have ties to us and you would definitely consider us if we made you a fair market offer, but this is what we can give you. So we want to make you aware of that so you can go forward as you need to. We can go forward as an organiz- organization as we need to and move on from there. So that privately doesn't make sense to me. Then to announce that publicly makes way less sense to me when you have an owner in Philadelphia who said in public, we're going to spend, quote, stupid money. He is on the record as saying that. That's not sources. That's just the owner saying that. And this is a team on the rise that finished right behind you last year. The last thing you should be doing in public is saying, you know what? We made this offer. We know it's really low. There's absolutely no chance he would accept it. Um, and so, you know, now we're just moving on. So, best of luck to everybody else. And um, you're welcome for driving down the price. And it just—it's—it's it's baffling to me, um, especially from this is this is not an ownership group that kind of developed its wealth. Well, it did develop its wealth (laughs) in in development, but didn't develop its wealth by doing something that didn't involve consistent, never-ending negotiations over and over and over, right? This is their wheelhouse of how to do business, and this is what they've based their life on. And then this happens. and And I found the whole thing really strange. And the other layer I found really strange is, Mark Lerner gave that interview just outside of the clubhouse in a back hallway um, because that's where the TV interviews were set up after the Patrick Corbin press conference. And he hopped on the radio just off the clubhouse about a year after we sat in the same clubhouse with him and Davey Martinez and Mark Lerner's father, Ted, and Mike Rizzo. And we repeatedly heard World World Series, World Series, World Series, World Series and nothing else is good enough. This is why they fired Dusty Baker, winning the division, winning 97 games, losing in the first round, not sufficient. So if that is your mentality, that's a very Steinbrenner-esque mentality, then why are you pulling away from just going Yankees style and being like, we have all this, and we're going to top it off with Bryce Harper? Because this is how adamant we are about winning the World Series. Now, would that be the most responsible thing to do? No, But if these are your words and your premise, then you're undermining your ability in the future to maximize all that stuff, because you know, that you just have to spend the money and you would get a return, most likely then why why are you doing those two things? Don't go together either. So it's a weird circumstance. I would think if we were going to predict how this was going to wrap for Bryce in Washington, DC during the off season, you would not predict that the nationals owner would come out and say, we made a very low offer. We knew he wouldn't accept it. Um, That's the best we can do. So good luck. Thank you very much.
1: And I know Todd, it it would have been a sting and I'm not a huge fan of doing the revisionist history thing, but Ken Rosenthal reported that the Houston Astros made an offer for Bryce Harper at the trade deadline, uh, and it was a, a pretty good offer—not an amazing offer, but I don't know how great of an offer they were going to get, knowing that uh, that Bryce Harper was going to be getting uh, to steal a phrase from the Phillies owner: "Stupid money." But Uh, This to me, and and I don't have any inside information, but if you look at the two main pieces involved in the reported deal, it screams Rizzo because you got a power right handed arm and J.B. I'm going to mispronounce his last name. Bukakis. J.B. Bukakis. And uh, he is, uh, you know, a a first round pick from a couple years ago. uh, Very young. Missed some time this year, I believe, with like a slipped disc in his back from a a car accident, but a high strikeout pitcher uh, had some impressive numbers this year, made it up to double A. And then they also had a catcher involved in the reported deal. Garrett Stubbs, who had a very good year in triple A, hit over 300. Uh, the reports are that he was a, a very he's a very athletic type of player. Bats from the left side. We know that the Nationals obviously struggled at the catching position and to potentially set up yourself with a future catcher and Garrett Stubbs, to me, it seems like Rizzo worked this deal out. And then from the reports from Ken Rosenthal, it was ownership who wouldn't allow them to move forward with this trade. So these don't add up. If ownership all along, Todd knew that well, we're going to offer him 300 million dollars over 10 years with no opt-outs and uh, clearly that's not going to get the job done. We'll put it out there. Then do this trade. I it is it's bizarre. It, it feels like they they did a complete 180. They in in July of uh, in late July when the team was pretty much out of it, they said, no, 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 we want Bryce Harper. We're going to keep Bryce Harper. And then at the end of the season, three months later, or less than three months later, they made this offer that they knew they weren't going to top. It just, it seems bizarre to me that they, if they had this mindset all along, that they wouldn't just pull the trigger on a trade that would likely help out their franchise for a long time.
0: Yeah, I, 100 percent agree um to me i was always of the mindset that if they traded bryce that was the end and i think they knew that too which is why they balked and and didn't do it but to your point if you know you know your future revenue streams at that point you know that Gio gonzalez isn't going to be back and you need to pay one of these left handers who are going to be on the market this This wasn't rocket science to predict, right, that Patrick Corbin is going to be a high-end left-hander. He's going to cost a lot of money. You're going to need a high-end left-hander, and it's going to cost you a lot of money. If it was Dallas Keuchel, he was going to cost you a lot of money. Or maybe you thought you had a path to Paxton, and you could put together a trade package for him. Um, But he wouldn't cover six years, so you know, what are you going to do then? Then in a couple of years, you, you have to reboot this thing. So, it's just, yes, being in between, we've learned, right, Tim, is always the worst place in professional sports. You're either all the way in or you are out. If you're in between and, for whatever reason, they were so in between at the trade deadline and then afterward this year, and I thought they mishandled the whole thing. The season had a bad smell to it throughout, and then it was – readily apparent to anyone paying attention I think that this wasn't going to get turned around so again and if you recall speaking of being in between when they moved Matt Adams and Daniel Murphy well they did it before the the last second so if you're thinking we want to hang on guys and maybe we'll get it together then why don't you wait until the last second you're not getting a good return anyway so wait but they didn't they did it in the middle so the a lot of moves from a lot of things, including moves from last season, don't make sense. And certainly, in hindsight, if you're not willing to pay Bryce Harper what you know is going to be the minimum rate for Bryce Harper, then you should have traded Bryce Harper.
1: Yeah, it, it, and I, maybe, maybe this isn't a good way to look at it, especially as you know, coming from people who are, are very successful business people. But maybe they wanted to save face. I don't know. And, and, and get this out there. But then don't do the interview and say, yeah, $300 million is the best that we can do. You know, I was actually talking, uh, Grant Paulson was, uh, in at NBC Sports Washington on Friday, uh, to do DC Sports Live. And, uh, we were just chatting about the interview. And he said, honestly, you know, the most telling and, and, and biggest quote that came from it wasn't the one that everybody was picking up on, which was, you know, that's the best we can do. That was kind of the money quote that, that everyone ran with. It was... If a decision gets made from Scott Boris and Bryce Harper, we're coming back to Washington. Is that now precluded based on what you guys have done
0: and might do coming up? It very well may be.
1: We just, you know, we have to sit down and, um, and, and figure, figure it out. I, you know, I, if he comes back, it's a strong possibility that we won't be able to make it work. Wow, that's a that's a pretty big. That's another big quote coming from the owner who the initial offer 10 for $300 million, if for some miraculous reason the Harper Boris conglomerate comes back and says, "Okay, we want it." They might say no. <laughs> that's that's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, and and again, not in line with what Mike Rizzo was saying when he was saying Patrick Corbin independent of anything with Bryce Harper. So now you have the owner saying, oh, well, we just paid $140 million to Patrick Corbin. So now we would have a problem if Harper came back to us at the $300 million mark. If Bryce Harper and Scott Boris came back to you and somehow told, in this fantasy land, told you that they would accept the $300 million offer, someone in the family should drive the cash truck to wherever Bryce is <laughs> yes. and say, oh, thank you very much. Because Right. To think that Harper would get $300 million 18 years after A-Rod received $252 million, right? I mean, the rate of inflation there, if you think about everything, you better <laughs> have a party in the street if he was going to take that. But, you know, it's going to be moot he's not going to take it there's no way he's taking less than 325 and i'm sure machado there's no way he's less he's taking less than 325 and there's no way harper's taking less than machado so unfortunately what we're probably going to be doing here in another month is having a similar discussion
1: yeah yeah it'll be very interesting and and you know as everyone has pointed out because of the threshold where the nationals are at with the luxury tax If and when Bryce Harper signs with another club, they're not going to get a a sandwich pick between the first and second round. They're going to get a what a fourth round pick because of where they're at, them and the Red Sox uh, for compensation picks. So it'll be a fourth round pick. So I think that'll
0: also basically moot because they had to flip stuff out for Corbin.
1: Yeah. So I mean it's. You know, not to compare to uh, a a particular quarterback leaving the same town and, and, you know, the return of that uh, not being great when maybe you could have got more. I I think that will sting uh, Nationals fans in the end because it look when when you get the owner coming out and and very candidly saying, yeah, it's it's over. And then you knew. Where this team was last year at the trade deadline, knowing that teams were were desperate and and that Bryce Harper's stock was rising at that point, that there were opportunities to help rebuild a uh, an organ or a farm system, I should say, that has been I don't know they wouldn't say depleted, Todd, but certainly they have traded a lot of commodities because that's what you do when you're a contending team. You try to trade pieces and and bring new pieces in, and we saw it you know recently with with Jan Gomes and 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 I have no issue with that but this was a an opportunity to help kind of rebuild it with some pretty solid prospects, as opposed to what you were able to acquire for, you know, Gio Gonzalez and, and Daniel Murphy, which was basically bottom dollar uh, for those guys, uh, as you alluded to. So it'll be really interesting how that all plays out. Uh, I do want to get to the Patrick Corbin press conference. You sat down with them had a one-on-one that was our our last podcast. And, um, you know, before we get to what, Patrick Corbin said, uh, Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer, Jan Gomes, and Ryan Zimmerman all in attendance. Um, you know, we've seen players in attendance to press conferences before, but I, I don't recall and Todd, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't recall ever this type of star power. I remember, I think I interviewed Tanner Roark uh one time at the maybe the Matt Williams intro presser you know Ryan Zimmerman's a, a local guy Jason Wirth used to show up at these because he he lived locally during the off season but to have four pretty big names at this press conference uh it says something i i feel like and they, and they tried to point that out i i know Mike Rizzo really tried to make that a point of purpose on friday that these four guys were sitting there uh in in the audience
0: yeah, and I do think there was some fortuitous timing that worked out for the Nationals there. Gomes was here to check things out. Um, he didn't come to Winterfest, which was the week before, so he was here to check things out. Steven Strasburg, we learned at Winterfest the week before, was doing his is doing a lot of his off-season stuff here, um, which was interesting to me and will be interesting to talk to him about eventually when we get around the spring training. Max was back for Winterfest the previous week, and presumably he just stayed, or he used part of his $210 million to go wherever he wanted and then came back. <laughs> um, so, he obvi- I mean, he has a house. He lives here. He has a house in the area, so that's not a surprise. Ryan Zimmerman, they can barely get him to clean out his locker, so that's not a surprise. <laughs> he, he was here either, but, of course, that still doesn't mean that they have to show up They could be doing whatever they prefer to do at the time. So, yeah, it was interesting. And, you know, um, a little behind-the-scenes thing here, I was sitting in the front row just because it ended up that way, and then Max came in, and initially he sat down right next to me because there was a series of open seats between the family on the far right and me on the far left, and then he was told he needs to move down by, you know,
1: someone who works in mm. the organization. Don't sit so next to Todd. They, they said, do not right. sit next to that guy.
0: So he, so it was just like being in school. He slid down one seat, then looks back to the person, and then they wave him. <laughs> <laughs> he slides down another seat <laughs> and looks back. <laughs> They wave him, he slides down again, he's like, why do I have to move? And I'm like, what is going, this is a $210 million Hall of Fame bound pitcher um, going through this nonsense, getting situated in the the front row with the seats and it. It was pretty funny. And then the other guys that you mentioned uh, came rolling in. So it was an interesting day.
1: Man, we're mentioned Mark Lerner a lot on this podcast. This might be the most we ever mentioned Mark Lerner uh, on a podcast. But Patrick Corbin discussed the importance of him being a part of the dinner that they had. And uh, also the fact that Ryan Zimmerman and his wife were out on the town. I don't know if that was just uh, lucky, um, but it really seemed like. You know, cliche baseball saying coming Um that they had a grand slam home run with with Patrick Corbin just kind of showing him showing him the town as, as opposed to you know everything else involved and and look they could say a lot of this it might have just come down to the fact that the Nats offered him six years and the Phillies and the Yankees didn't do that <laughs> and we might just be looking at you know that might be you know window dressing uh, all this dinner and Ryan Zimmerman being out but it, it was interesting to me to hear. Uh, That the that the owner made a big impression being at the dinner that Ryan Zimmerman being out with his wife and, you know, talking with Patrick Corbin and his wife for like an hour. Um, So those were two kind of unique developments I felt like that came from the press conference.
0: It doesn't hurt. Right. To your point, 100% about the six-year, from an agent's point of view, that's a huge thing. I asked Corbin about the length of the contract versus average annual value, and he kind of gave a wishy-washy answer in his defense. He was also at the end of his round of TV interviews after doing a press conference and going on the radio and doing all the things that happens to a person you know, when they're introduced this way. By the end of that, you're pretty talked out which you can't blame anybody uh, for that. So, But all those things you mentioned, they don't hurt. And, you know, we, we've if he has a good experience with the owner, that's good. If he has a good experience with the president of baseball operations slash general manager, all the better. If he bumps into the, one of the local stars who can actually tell him the truth about what it's like to be a baseball player around here, fantastic. So all those things kind of aligned, and then the contract aligned, and now they have... Do they have the best top three in baseball? Do they have, will they have the best one through five in baseball? They're at least back in the argument here after a year where they're starting pitching, came back to bite them, which is not something we usually see around Nationals Park. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at, and olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top.
1: All right, we're going to wrap things up here on the Racing Presidents Podcast. Uh, we're, we're we're wasting precious time. Todd's out in Vegas, you know. I mean, he's he's got things to do, people to see. He's got to go hang out with Marlins man. But we uh, we did ask for some Twitter questions, and I grabbed a couple. Todd and uh, okay. people can always tweet us at one Tim Murray's my Twitter handle at Todd underscore Dybas D Y B A S and also tweet at M-B-C-S, nationals and uh, we got a handful of twitter questions so we'll just fire them towards todd we'll start with stretch he said what farm players what minor leaguers look promising also any quality catchers coming up through the pipeline
0: obviously carter keybooms the the instant answer to that and the easy answer and luis garcia i think is intriguing a lot of people as well um, it was interesting to meet him for the first time at winterfest he he still has braces that um, always jolts me as really? a reminder how how yeah how young people are sometimes so you know he, he was really interesting had had some personality and uh, certainly will be someone to keep an eye on as far as catcher mm, <laughs> yeah it's, rowdy reed yeah who... to be on his way But he also always seemed to be more of a first baseman than he was uh, suspended for PEDs. Last year, um, he was at AA Harrisburg. And so I actually talked to Matt LeCroy about him once, who was a former catcher himself and is the, the manager there at Harrisburg. And, you know, there's a lot of power there. Again, I think he projects much more as a first baseman. He was kind of a de facto catcher, is just kind of what he was, and they hadn't moved him out of that. And obviously, if they could have offensive numbers at catcher, you try to get that for as long as you can. And then when you're like, all right, you have to go somewhere else because you're just not good enough defensively or via game calling for the major league level, um, then that happens. And that could presumably happen to him. So, as you said, about the prospective Houston trade, mm-hmm. that would have been that guy would have been their number one catching prospect instantly uh, in the farm system.
1: Yeah, the one guy, uh, and, and and remember this, folks: as catchers, it, it might be the longest road to the show, just because you have so much to learn. Uh, yeah. In college Especially if you're in high school Coming right out That's going to be a very long road uh, But if you're a college catcher You you may not have been in charge of a staff For that long I mean it is a new world for catchers Uh Tresparea, uh MLB pipeline currently has him as the 14th best prospect in the Nats organization he was a sixth round pick back in 2016 out of Texas was just in Potomac last year so you'd imagine he'll just kind of move up the organizational ladder being Harrisburg but you know he may be a guy that, to keep an eye on but there's a reason they went out and traded for Jan Gomes and and signed Kurt Suzuki there's not a ton of belief uh, right now, you would imagine in the catching depth. So uh, we will see uh, another tweet coming in this one from Tom Natale. And uh, he said, what's the deal with second base? Uh, and you actually wrote about this a little bit. Wilmer Defoe, Howie Kendrick, Platoon, question mark. And also, as you mentioned with Carter Boom, uh how close is he to making his major league debut? a couple
0: ways they can look at second base. They can start with that platoon. Defoe is a good defender. They need better defense there. Howie Kendrick is en route to being 100% by the start of spring training based on everything that he said to us publicly and everything that Mike Rizzo and the organization has said. He's moving right along. Seems to feel good. We'll see what he looks like when he actually has to play some baseball. So You can start with that and then try to patch it in the middle of the year via Carter Keeboom or via swap somebody in there, you know, make a trade to make something happen. That isn't the worst thing to me because they took care of catcher. If catcher was still a mess, then you can't, you can't have catcher being a mess at the plate and have the pitcher hit and have second base, you know, possibly be another offensive hole. Then you're wiping out a third of your lineup from the get go. And that's just not going to work, but they fix, Catcher, pitcher is what it is, obviously, in the National League. And then with Defoe, you have a couple functional things he can do at the plate. They want him to really calm down his swing and be more of a situational guy. And Howie Kendrick, I think, until he's 75 years old, will be able to hit line drives to the opposite field. You know, it's just a matter of if he can still do that when guys are throwing 98 miles an hour. So next year. And remember, he was hitting very well last year. So the Achilles thing... As far as his eye-hand, bat-speed stuff he needs to do in the box, we saw he still had all that last year. What he should never be is in left field. (laughs) So if he's platooned at second, they can slow play him a bit um, and and put him back there and see, see how he does. Is it ideal? No. Is it functional for now, considering everything else is in order?
1: Probably, yeah. Having a platoon at second base of Howie Kendrick and and Wilmer Defoe doesn't bother me all that much. And and just to to get to the Carter Keyboom point, he just turned twenty one in September, so still a very young guy. This will be his age twenty one season. And uh, these are kind of a ton of shortstop. Well, these are things, base. and these are things that kind of look at. I, I looked it up, and he's right now in the Arizona Fall League, and he has played nine mm-hmm. games at second base. He hadn't played any second base. Uh, in his first three years in the organization, but... Uh, clearly, you know, when decisions are made and and look, the Arizona Fall League manager, I don't know who his manager is in Salt River, but I can tell you one thing. When you're a first round pick, you don't just randomly get put at second base. These were orders right. coming up from Mike Rizzo saying we want him playing some second base. He's still playing short. He's split. He's played about 12 games at short, nine games at second base. Uh, but I would not be surprised if in Harrisburg this upcoming season, if he spends a good chunk of time at second base because having a guy a first round pick there with Trey Turner seems to make some sense so uh, that would be certainly something uh, to keep an eye on so Carter Kiboom playing some second base as part of the Arizona Fall League and then finally Colin Zucker tweets us and this is also something you you hit on a little bit he said even though we signed sammy sammy solis to a one-year deal i can't really see things working out the whole season what lefties are we looking at in the free agent market to fortify that side of our bullpen and this is something uh that you wrote about todd on nbc sports washington
0: yeah so Rizzo, it was interesting when he sat down with us after the Patrick Corbin press conference, one of the things I asked him about was, do you feel like you need to add another lefty in the bullpen? And his answer was, we've got right now on the roster three really competent left-handed pitchers in Doolittle, Grace, who had a magnificent season last year and Sammy Solis, who we feel is a bounce-back candidate. I tweeted the Sammy Solis bounce-back candidate, quote, and woo boy, See, the folks were not happy with, with that concept. But one thing I did mention on Twitter and, and, and wanted to point out to a guy who tweeted back to me, you know, he can't be trusted in high leverage situations. Well, he's not here to be in high leverage situations at this point. He's the third left-hander. Now, can you find somebody who pitches better? Yes. Um, are there interesting left-handers on the market? Yes. Do you want to pay a bunch of money? for an Andrew Miller, level left-hander. Mm, I don't Andrew know if they Miller, do considering everything else is what in there, you know? Do you want to pay a, a Tony Sip, um, who's still a pretty effective left-hander? Maybe you do. And one of the things that's laying out there with Sammy Solis's contract is it won't cost them much if they have to cut him in spring training. So I would anticipate seeing other left-handers in spring training, which we always do. We'll see kind of at what level that other left-hander is, and it would be easy for them to get out from under Samuel Solis's contract and have someone else replace him as a more effective left-hander. Um, that's certainly financially doable with all the money that they are continually trying to save here. Um, that would still work in the equation. Or... Sammy Solis looks like 2016 Sammy Solis, where he was a a very effective left-hander who has multiple pitches, can pitch multiple innings, throws in the mid-90s, gets other left-handers out as opposed to getting completely drilled by left-handed batters, which is what happened
1: last season. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of the Racing Presidents Podcast. We should have plenty of content coming for you via... Mr. Divas, who is out in Las Vegas, kicking it right now before things get rolling on Monday morning. Uh, do us a favor. You know what to do with the podcast thing. Rate, review, and subscribe. We are going to be here all throughout the offseason. And, of course, once the season gets rolling, we will be your authority, your podcast authority. Todd, already doing a great job as the insider for NBC Sports Washington on the Nats beat lots of content going to be coming his way from Las Vegas already those articles trickling in so stay tuned to NBC Sports Washington Mr. Dybus, thanks for the time enjoy yourself don't do anything I wouldn't do
0: Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Me and Marlon's man are out of (laughs) here.
1: And there he is, Todd Divas. My name is Tim Murray. Once again, we'll be talking to you all week long from the winter meetings. This is the Racing Presidents Podcast.